Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be talking, Rob. It's good to see you, Paul, and welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Dental Amigos podcast. Today, we are continuing on our season one of episodes concerning associate agreements, generally from the associate's perspective. However, as the show notes indicate, uh, in previous episodes, there's a lot of general interest content here, so even if you're not an associate or looking for an associateship job, uh, there are things that you'll be able to take away, I think, and, and apply to other aspects of your, your dental business and professional world. So um, as the uh, intro says, you know, that uh, this is not legal advice, right. right? I'm not a dentist. You're not a lawyer. Um, neither of us are CPAs. Right. So we're going to drift a little bit into the accounting. I don't want to play CPA on TV. I always want to play a lawyer on TV, you know, Tom Cruise, but they got no CPAs out there who are, you know, you're, you, they never star in a movie, do they? I don't think so. I hate to say this because there are a lot of CPAs that I <laughs> oh, they're like. They're great relationships. They're just, they, they're not they don't make movies PR. or TV shows. They definitely do. They, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they definitely do. <laughs> you know, like the, the, the sexy, you know, trial lawyer yeah, yeah. stuff and books. Nobody's ever writing about the audit, right? Yeah. That might be it. That yeah, might be right. our, yeah, the our audit. Thing. Paul, we can collaborate job. on the audit, yeah, right? Yeah. And the, all the sort of nefarious things that are going yes, on behind exactly. the scenes, I guess. Like the Enron days, like that was kind of like, the CPA's yeah, got like a little that. bit of a of a spotlight there when, when that controversy was going on. That's but then, t- it started out as an audit, but it ended up not being about an audit at all. Or right. about a write-off. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> just, just accounting language. So today, you know, now as we get back to topic, we're going to talk about 1099 versus W-2, you know, uh, being an independent contractor versus an employee, uh, which is a subject that uh, comes up a lot. I see it on message boards. I see it on Facebook groups, yeah. a conversation that uh, I have and my my uh, uh, associate lawyers have a lot with, uh, with clients, trying to help them navigate what the distinctions are. Um, there are trade-offs, there are risks, there right. are rewards. Um, I think there are a lot of more risks in a lot of circumstances than yeah. rewards. Um, but um, we're going to talk about what that means, what the ramifications are of, of being treated one way or another, and some um, tax planning uh, considerations right. briefly about being treated like an independent contractor. So when somebody says, you know, I am an employee, and then they say a W-2, what that means is as an employee, you are receiving a W-2 tax form at the end of the year in which your uh, your salary and everything that was paid to you gets reported to the government. And as a W-2 or an employee, um, the employer whom you work for yeah. deducts uh, uh, payroll tax, payroll withholding. So we're talking about Social Security, uh, Medicare, you know, those two together are referred to FICA, 
uh, federal withholding. Yeah. So this is a portion of the taxes, your tax liability that are ultimately going to have to be paid. And then there are state and local taxes that get deducted. And then some other, sometimes some places have unemployment tax. So as an employee, all that stuff gets deducted. So you'll get this W-2 as an employee that says that your gross pay, which would be maybe your 35% of your $300,000 of collections is X. And then from that, we deducted all these other things, which the employer has paid to the government. Um, And some things you match. So when you look at the W-2, it'll show that the Social Security was deducted from your check of 6.2% and that the employer matched that 6.2% and paid that to the government. Same thing with Medicare, and there's some nuances to that, but generally that's what we're talking about. Uh, An independent contractor, or a 1099, in that situation, none of those taxes are deducted. So at the end of the year, you get a tax document from the practice. Notice I didn't say employer, Paul, right? Because that's a distinction that says how much money you got. And so if you get 30% of collections and you had whatever, $500,000 of collections that year, you were received checks for $150,000 from the practice over the course of the year, you get a 1099 for $150,000. And then it's up to you to pay all the taxes and follow all the rules. Now, great explanation, Rob. I'll just jump in as thank somebody you. who's these. I think, you know, just add some insight for me as hearing this. So, you know, I was had W-2 jobs. You know, I worked at companies growing up. I made eight bucks an hour. These just W-2. The only thing I ever worried about was, was I going to like put the withholdings wrong? I'd ask my parents, like, you don't have any dependents, right? You know, so you just have to do that one thing in the beginning of being hired uh-huh. as the lifeguard set. and you're set. So it seems like as a W-2, you're your life as the employee is very simplistic, right? Mm -hmm. Then it sounds like from the other side, if you're a business providing 1099s, it makes your life pretty simplistic because you just say, hey, I paid Rob Montgomery $150,000. I know that's not the end of it with risk and liability, Mm -hmm. but just from a processing standpoint, you know, for associates listening, if you're a W-2, your tax life is fairly simplistic and what you have to do with your, the money's taken away from you before you're allowed to do anything with it. Right. Uh, as you deepen this conversation as a 1099, that's not the case. Yeah, you that's know. correct. Right. You're giving basically at the end of the day, it's 1099. You're giving you're given more money to hold mm-hmm. than you are supposed to keep. Right. Right. <laughs> and that that'll that'll be our finale, which yeah. is the tax planning that goes along with that. So it's important to realize though that it's not up to the practice to decide whether or not you are an independent contractor yeah. or an employee. The IRS and uh, local tax authorities have guidelines for when somebody should be treated like an independent contractor versus uh, uh, an employee. And you know, obviously, the government is in the business of collecting money, right. right? So they don't just leave it to the dentist to say, hey, I'm the practice owner. I'll determine whether or not this right. person is going to pay taxes or pay Social Security or Medicare on these amounts. So these tests really go towards control. Uh, if somebody has is told when they have to work, where they have to work, if they're provided with all the supplies that they need, uh, if they are follow, uh, required to follow certain protocols, they're basically within the control of the practice. They're an employee. Yeah. The, 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 the easy example of an independent contractor is the IT guy. You know, yeah. he, he, The IT guy comes in when you have a problem with your network and he fixes it. 
He sends you a bill, you pay him. He's not an employee. He's an independent contractor. And at the end of the year, guys like your IT guy, your lawyer, your accountant, you send them a 1099 and say, here's what we paid you this year. You're not our employee. You're right. just somebody that we hired to help us out for can, things. Can from I time ask a question? Time. And maybe we, we don't have the ability to phone a friend CPA. So, but you probably know as a business owner, because you know this is the time during the recording of this podcast, we're getting a lot of 1099s. I'm getting a lot of stuff right. for dental nachos. You know, when I pay your dental lawyer for legal service and your dental lawyer is a business, mm -hmm. you know, do you, I paid a business. Is the 1099 come into play when I'm paying an individual or it also comes into play for a business? I'm just I'm more curious. It comes into play both. Gotcha. You know, that I will say that uh, my understanding is that if you are paying, uh, treating someone like a 1099, like an independent contractor, if you are paying them to an EIN, a, you know, a business entity as opposed to an individual, that that generally gives you a little extra protection. I right. am told that. I do not know that for a fact, but that disclaimer out there. But it's worse generally when we're going to get to the next step, which is talking about scrutinizing these things. So, uh, but it doesn't matter uh, if they're an independent contractor as an entity or an individual. It's the same thing. They get a 1099. It's basically a trail of the money. It's saying, hey, we paid Dental Nachos $3,800. It exceeded right. the six hundred, right? Right. So 3800 Now they were saying it's Dental Nachos' job. It's on them. Three, to yeah. pay the rest. So they better put that into their bank account for us to track. Exactly. As opposed to if you had an employee, you're going to take out what would be right. the the required IRS amount of uh, uh, tax uh, withholding from each check, whatever, 20%, 30%, whatever the, the tax bracket is, and they're paying that to the government. And when you go to file your tax returns, you say, well, my employer has paid this through my right. W-2, so how much do I owe or how much do I get back? But somebody's been paying those taxes typically on a monthly basis for you to to the government. For, for a quick question, Robert, like, what is a good example of an independent contractor in life, not in dentistry? Is it like the plumber that comes to your house? Or? Well, I, I think I think the IT guy. IT guy, okay, yeah, is a good right. one. The IT guy, yeah. Yes. And in the dental world, you know, I'll tell you one that's probably a little bit more obvious, where you have maybe the the we we'll call him the traveling uh, oral surgeon or yeah. the traveling orthodontist that is in a different office every day. They come in, they treat the patients, yeah. they bring their own staff, right. they bring their supplies, their equipment, and they are truly free agents, right? right. You just say, hey, this day. OMS is here. It's OMS day. Right. You know, they're doing their thing. And, you know, while we're right. not telling them how to do their thing, they do it. They treat the patients and, and they we're use their professional judgment. And it might not be a totally fair question, but in my experience, it seems like general dentists often are not 1099s as frequently as specialists. Is that accurate? It's correct. I mean, they certainly, I don't think they fit the, the true classification either. I mean, if you are a, uh, uh, a general dentist working in a general dentistry practice, I think it's almost impossible for you to be an independent contractor. Right. I mean, you're doing the same. This is part of the business. You know, right. when you pay the the IT guy or the uh, practice consultant or the lawyer, the CPA, that's not core to your business right. of providing general dentistry to your patients. When you hire a general dentist to take patients and treat them during the hours that you tell them they have right. to and the way they have to, and you give them the assistant, the hygienist, and all the equipment and all the supplies, it sure seems like they're an employee. Yeah. A lot of times people get hung up on the fact that, well, if somebody works part-time and they work for 
multiple practices, that makes them an independent contractor. No. That doesn't That makes them a part-time employee, <laughs> right? right? Yes, there's yeah, like, yeah. There is like that other characterization. A lot of times people look at it very myopically that, hey, you're a 1099, you know, you're full-time, you're an employee, you're part-time, you're a 1099. I'm like, no, yeah. no, there's part-time employee. That's, right. that's a thing exactly. too. And so you have to understand that there are, there are potential ramifications yeah. for somebody being quote unquote misclassified. So if you have somebody that truly is not an independent contractor, they don't meet the test of the IRS to be deemed to be an independent contractor, they're a misclassified employee. They really should be an employee, yeah. but they're being misclassified as an independent contractor. There can be liability for that. The, uh, you know, the federal government wants to collect their social security and their Medicare. Yeah. Um, the uh, local uh, state unemployment board wants to get contributions into yeah. that. But then also you have to be careful if there is a, a job a workplace injury where workers' compensation yeah. insurance would kick in and you're an independent contractor who's not been covered by uh, you know the, the same kind of insurance coverage yeah. that employees get. So with all of this, the, the government can come in and assess fines, interest, yeah. penalties. And I will tell you, any kind of tax situation where you owe the government money and it goes back a number of years, when you look at the numbers of what those, what the, fen the penalties and the fines and the interest are, like that, that number, that really snowballs yeah. in a hurry. You know, it's not, it does not appreciate as quickly as your bank account yeah, accrues right. interest and, and, yeah. and, and benefit. It is a number that can double in the, in the matter of a few short years. Yeah. So, um, you know, not being treated right while it seems like in the short term, like, hey, don't worry about it. I'm just going to, uh, you know, skirt the law a little bit here and uh, try to save a few bucks that can come back to haunt you. Yeah. Now, typically that is going to be a liability of the practice, right? So the yeah. practice is the one that's responsible for classifying you, giving you a W-2 withholding yeah. uh, taxes. This is where this comes in as a problem for associates. Many, I almost might say most, Paul, associate agreements where we see people are being paid as a 1099 will have a provision in there that will say that the associate agrees to indemnify, that means you're the insurer of the practice, for any uh, fines, penalties, or interest arising out of the misclassification gotcha. of this of this associate as an independent contractor when they should have been an employee. Uh, and what that means is, even though the practice is responsible for paying this, yeah. if the government comes after them, you've agreed in that contract that the practice can now come back after you. Gotcha. Which is, you know, it's not that cool. So it's key for the for associates to be aware of this. It's something you've seen happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, and, and it's the practice's responsibility. And especially, you know, we see situations sometimes where in the course of a practice transition, a seller insists on being treated like a 1099. And in that situation, we say, hey, if you want to be a 1099, that's cool, but you got to cover us for, yeah, for right. this thing. This wasn't our idea. Right. This is your idea. In the context of the, we'll call it the employer or the practice and the associate, if it's the practice's idea to do it this way, why should the associate be responsible right. for the consequences exactly. of that nefarious decision, right? Gotcha. So, uh, looking for those provisions in the agreement, making sure that you're not uh, on the hook for that. And it can be a significant liability. Right. I think one of the traps though, people fall into and associates fall into, they think, well, if I am an independent contractor, I can put all my expenses through my business. Eh, 
Not really. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden, because you're an independent contractor, you've got this business entity that you can write off your car, yeah, your, right. all your phone, trips. You know, maybe this you take some CEO. This fits into getting the right people on your team and getting a good accountant that walks right. through this because you may have a fun time writing stuff off and your accountant might say, these are not legitimate write-offs for what exactly. you've done at the end of the year. So just like getting your employment uh, agreement reviewed by an attorney before you sign it, this is, sounds like a good ounce of prevention type of thing. You know? Yeah, it's like, yeah you know. if, you're, if you're doing a 1099 situation, you need to have an accountant teed up yeah, yeah. for a lot of reasons. We'll talk about one in a minute. The other thing, the other sort of, uh, we'll say, you know, urban myth when it comes to uh, independent contractor arrangements, if none of these taxes, none of this FICA, Social Security, Medicare stuff is being deducted, uh, as an independent contractor. However, as an independent contractor, you are going to have what's known as self-employment tax, yeah. which the self-employment tax amounts to having to pay the employer's contribution and the employee's contribution of Social Security and Medicare. Yeah. So right away, that's about 15% on the first hundred and, I forget what the limit is now, 130 or so thousand dollars that you are going to give up as the associate right off the bat. So, yeah. you know, you're, you know, there, there are only so many expenses that you can right. put through a business that are yeah. legitimate, they're gonna be able to offset that. So a lot of times I think that's a huge misconception, like, hey, it's better for everybody. Eh, not really. Yeah, exactly. And no, finally too with that, uh, you as an independent contractor typically are not, well not even typically, you're not entitled to uh, all the fringe benefits that Right. employees may have. So if there's a health insurance plan or a retirement plan and all that other stuff, you're not going to be able to participate in that because you're just like the IT guy, right? right? You're exactly. not you're not an employee. Um, and so kind of wrap it up with like the last issue, and this is really to your point, Paul, where, where you need the Hollywood CPA to come in and help right. you, uh, is tax planning. Yeah. So uh, as in a W-2, as we said, you know, an employee, your employer is taking money out of your check and paying it to the government as a prepayment towards your income taxes. If at the end of the year you get your hundred and whatever, fifty thousand dollar ten ninety-nine, because that's all the money you got, you're going to owe the government, oh, well, I don't know, you know, what, forty-two thousand right. dollars of taxes or more. I you know, I'm probably not doing good math here, but a big chunk of change. Right. Like that money's gotta come from somewhere. Got a plan for that. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is where working with a CPA is important. How much money should you be setting aside each check to cover these taxes? Yeah. Because you know, it's not like, okay, I took a groovy trip to Jamaica, I've leased a BMW, right. and look at this, I'm just living large. And then all of a sudden I got this giant tax bill, where's the money gonna come from? Yeah. And we've seen over the years where young dentists have wanted to buy practices and they haven't been able to get financing because they've got these tax liens from on them. Time, yeah. that's, right. why, that's why I think it's just you're, what you shared here is so valuable you know, to go into with eyes wide open as an associate and you know, sometimes not allow that, not allow that this is how we've always done it type of stuff to roll, roll over, right? Yeah. Some people say to me, I say, well, how did you agree to this? They go, well, the owner said this is how we do it for everybody else. I go, did you talk it's to everyone else? No, and I understand it's tough when you're in those scenarios, but yeah. that's why, you know, make the, your advisors the bad guy sometimes. I mean, mm -hmm. I do that. Mike, sometimes I tell a patient, which is not a lie, our accountant says we can't extend credit to you for 24 months. Pretty kind of true, yeah. right? But he, he I, would it's say not that. me, right? He would say it. <laughs> of course. So I say the accountant that you can't see right now yeah. has told me yeah. I can't take $10 a month for your care. So say, 
my accountant and attorney have advised me that this situation here is not one that's favorable. Let's get one that's favorable. Yeah. Right. You know, and then I think that's just valuable ways to learn some. I like telling, helping dentists talk to patients, help associates know how to talk to owners, you know? Yeah. And that could be a tricky thing. I mean, you're definitely swimming against the stream. Once you've got this like momentum of like that mentality drives me crazy, obviously, Paul, you know, where you have this situation where like, this is the way we've always done it. This is the right way. This is the way everybody does it. Like, no, not necessarily. I don't even know how those people make those statements know that that's the case, right? You know, because many dentists are the, the, the only one on the island, right? right? And so, uh, maybe a couple of their friends did it that way, but it, it doesn't make it right. Yeah. And uh, it can be a difficult thing to kind of buck the tide there. Uh, yeah. You know, and you got all this momentum saying, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, you need a job, you know, you really yeah. want the job. And this is where one of those things we talked about contractual awareness, you know, maybe you can try to negotiate this, Right. Some things of it. Maybe you can say, I don't want to be an independent contractor. I want to be an employee. But maybe they'll say no. But even though you may not have been able to negotiate a, a change in the structure of this arrangement, you at least know that this is what you're going to have to do right. at the end of the year. And you can plan accordingly. And this is this is one of the expressions of contractual awareness yeah. where knowing what you need to do and when you need to do it, even if it doesn't, it doesn't mean that necessarily you're going to go to hammer out some protracted negotiation <laughs> right, on yeah. all these things with your employer, though the indemnification thing is something that needs to be certainly checked into. Yeah. But um, the rest of it is just knowing, you know, where, what you're going to be yeah. expected to do and obligated to do and plan for it accordingly. So you don't get blindsided by the $45,000 tax like bill. It. Treatment plan, dentists say, talk to us about treatment plan for your taxes. You got to treatment plan your own finances for your own taxes if you're in that scenario. That's it. That's that's the bullet for, <laughs> that's the clip for our uh, promo for this uh, for this episode right there, Paul. So uh, thanks everybody uh, for listening. Thanks, Paul, for taking the time and uh, be careful when you look at that W-2 versus 1099. Great points, Rob. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with the Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on the dentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.